0: Starting in verse 31, Exodus 26, verse 31. And if you would stand for the reading of God's word this morning. And you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. It shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it. And you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold, on four bases of silver. And you shall. Hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil. And the veil shall be separate from, or for you, separate you, or for you, the holy place from the most holy. You shall put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. And you shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand on the south side of the uh, tabernacle opposite the table. And you shall put the table on the north side. You shall make a screen for the entrance of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen embroidered with needlework. And you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia and overlay them with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold and you shall cast five vases of bronze for them. Let's right. Dear Lord, our God, our Father, God, we pray this morning, Lord, that you would be with us as we uh, go through this portion of Scripture, Lord, this chapter that, uh, Lord, is difficult for most of us in the, uh, the church, Lord, to understand uh, why there would be so many details, Lord, uh, that you would give in the plan of the construction of the tabernacle, Lord. I pray as we walk through this passage, Lord, as we look at these details, that we understand that, that every little detail, Lord, came from you and was a lesson to the Israelites, Lord, that the tabernacle pointed them forward to a greater hope, the hope of your son. God, I pray that you're with us this morning, Lord, as we go through this passage in your son's name. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to be continuing our sermon series through the tabernacle. Uh, I'm going to try to get through this uh, at a reasonable time. Um, we obviously are going to be... Out a little late. We had a lot going on this morning. Uh, but I want to look at chapter 26, uh, which is the construction of the tent portion of the tabernacle. And in this chapter, you can really split it up into three different portions of the construction of the, t- the tent portion of the tabernacle. You have the curtains or or the fabric that's on the outside of the tent. You have the framework, um, uh, uh, that, that held up the curtains or the fabric on the outside of the tent, and then finally have the, the placement of the items within the tabernacle. Uh, and so this is what I'd like to do this morning. I kind of want to walk through this entire chapter, not, not just what we've read. Kind of read through the entire chapter, make some comments as we go through the chapter, and then I want to look at three observations from the chapter, really three things we can learn, or three things that the tabernacle taught the Israelites um, three observations. So really there's four parts of the sermon this morning. We have the curtains, the framework, the placements of the items within the tabernacle. I want to end again with three observations. So if you would, the first point or the first part of the sermon is the curtains. Uh, verses 1 through 14 in chapter 26 is all about the curtains. This is again the fabric that will cover the outside of the tent. Uh, the tabernacle, and it's a very detailed passage, as you'll see as I'm reading through this. Uh, there's going to be two layers of this curtain, an uh, inner layer and an outer layer. The best I could explain it, and, and as I was thinking about it, it's kind of like your house. You have an inner layer to the wall, which would be made out of drywall, and then you have an outer layer of the wall, which is siding that protects it from the elements of uh, of the outside, um, being outside. So let's start in verse 1, and this is the inner curtains. Verse 1, chapter 26, verse 1 says this, Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine linen, and blue and purple and scarlet yarns. You shall make them with cherubim, skillfully worked into them. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits of the breadth of each curtain, four cubits. All the curtains shall be the same size. Five curtains shall be Coupled to one another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another, and you shall make loops of blue and on the edge of the outermost curtain in the first set, likewise, you shall make loops on the edge of the outermost cur- curtain in the second set. fifty loops you shall make on the one curtain, fifty loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that 's in the second set. the loops shall be opposite one another. And you shall make 50 clasps of gold and couple the curtains one to the other with the clasps so that the tabernacle may be a single hole. Again, this is the the innermost layer of, of the tabernacle, the tent portion, uh, made from 10 sheets of fabric, each measuring approximately 6 feet by 42 feet. If you a cubit is 18 inches, you multiply that out. Uh, somewhere along those lines are joined together with 50 golden clasps, and this fabric would be draped over, as we're going to see, frames, a a framework, uh, which would make the walls and the roof of this tent, this tabernacle that's a a portable tent. The inner layer that we just talked about is made with fine twine linen, probably a white or off-white in color, uh, but it's decorated with blue, purple, and scarlet yarns. And there is to be images of cherubim embroidered or woven into the fabric of these uh, fabric, these curtains, that would be the walls of the tabernacle. Again, this is the inner layer, meaning, as we've learned about the tabernacle, when the priests entered into the tabernacle, entered into the holy place, one of the first things they saw was images of these angels, these cherubim. These angels were... These images were a reminder that they were entering into a heavenly realm. They were coming close to the presence of God. Therefore, when the priests would enter into the tent, the holy place, they were immediately confronted with the reality that God's presence was near. That holiness was near. Now again, this is the the inner curtain. Let's look at the outer curtain, verse 7. This is a description of the outer curtain. It says this, You shall also make curtains of goat's hair for a tent over uh, the tabernacle. Eleven curtains shall you make. Again, goat's hair wasn't as beautiful as fine twine linen, but but it was very sturdy. In fact, it was commonly used to make tents in the Middle East. To this day, goat's hair is still used to make tents in the Middle East. Very sturdy material. Verse 8. The length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits, and the breadth of each curtain, 4 cubits. The 11 curtains shall be the same size. You shall couple 5 curtains by themselves and 6 curtains by themselves. And the 6th curtain, you shall uh, double over at the front of the tent. You shall make 50 loops on the edge of the curtain. That is the outermost in one set, and 50 loops on the edge of the curtain. That's the outermost in the second set. You shall make 50 clasps of bronze and put these clasps into the loops and couple the tents together that it may be a single whole. Now again, this is the, the outer layer, so we've described the inner layer. This is the outer layer of the tent. Therefore, not only is goat hair used instead of fine linen, but bronze clasps are used instead of golden. Again, verse 11, you shall make 50 clasps of bronze. Now, I want to point something out because I think this is important as we understand the tabernacle. The, the, as you move away from the presence of God in the tabernacle, right, the holy of holies, the materials that are used are less valuable. Meaning as you approach the presence of God, the more expensive, the more beautiful, the more pure the materials are as you get closer and closer to the presence of God. Now, just keep that in mind, and we'll come back to that idea in a little bit. Look at verse 12. And the part that remains of the curtains of the tent, the half curtain that remains, shall hang over the back of the tabernacle, and the extra that remains in the length of the curtains, the cubit on the one side and the cubit on the other side, shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on this side, and that side to cover it. Again, this is the outer covering of the tabernacle. In verse 14, it's the very outer covering. It says this, and you shall make for the tent ta- a covering of tanned ram skin and a covering of goat skin on top. Again, the very outside ram skin and goat skin, as uh, I know most of us can imagine, that's the probably most durable material that's mentioned so far. It's to protect the, the tabernacle, this tent, from the elements. Again, these were the curtains that were used, the, the, the material used to build the outside of the walls of the tabernacle. A, a beautiful inner layer made of fine linen with images of angels that only the priests would have seen as they entered into the holy place. And then there's an outer layer, less beautiful but more durable, protect from the elements as they would wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, that's the the curtains, the fabric. Let's look at the framework. Verse 15, we see, this is the second part of our passage this morning, the framework. Verse 15 says this, "'You shall make upright frames for the tabernacle of acacia wood. Ten cubits shall uh, be the length of a frame, and a cubit and a half the breadth of each frame.'" There shall be two tenons in each frame for fitting together, so uh, shall you do for all the frames of the tabernacle. You shall make the frames for the tabernacle twenty frames for the south side, and forty bases of silver you shall make under the twenty frames, two bases under one frame for its two tenons, and two bases under the next frame for its two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle on the north side, twenty frames, and for and there, 40 bases of silver, two bases under one frame, and two bases under the next frame. And for the rear of the tabernacle westward, you shall make six frames. And you shall make two frames for corners of the tabernacle and the rear. They shall be separate um, beneath, but joined together on, top, on the top at the first ring. Thus shall it be with both of them, they shall... Uh, from the two corners, and there shall be eight frames with their bases of silver, 16 bases, two bases under one frame, and two bases under another frame. Again, these frames are the structure, the structure of the tabernacle. It's what the the fabric or the material will be, the curtains will be draped over. It's like the skeleton of this tent. Verse 26, you shall make bars of acacia wood. Five for the frames of the one side of the tabernacle and five bars for the frames on the other side of the tabernacle and five bars for the frames on the side of the tabernacle that uh, at the rear westward. So the middle bar halfway up the frames shall run from end to end. You shall overlay the frames with gold and make uh, their rings of gold for hold, holders for the bars and you shall overlay the bars with gold. Then you shall erect the tabernacle according to the plan for it that you were shown on the mountain. Again, Moses is on the mountain right now getting instructions for the tabernacle. But it also says in verse 30 something like, Moses is able to see what this tabernacle is supposed to look like. Now, if you do the, go through these plans and try to make what's in these plans, you realize there's a lot of gaps. We don't know exactly how certain things are to be put together and where they're supposed to go. Where those gaps were probably filled was with what Moses saw as he came down with the instructions and the plans and was leading the Israelites in building the tabernacle. Again, verses 15 through 30 is all about the structure. These upright frames acted like the structural walls. There was nearly 50 of these frames. These frames were interlocked together and the curtains would stretch out over these frames. Therefore, this tent looks something like, and, and take this for what it is, a circus tent. <laughs> now, don't get distracted by the idea of a circus. Obviously, the tabernacle and circus have nothing in common besides they're portable tents, and they're built somewhat similarly. Although the tabernacle had a, a flat roof, and circus tents don't, there's a, there's a similarity there, and for us modern thinkers, it might get your mind wrapped around a little bit of what the tabernacle looked like. Just like a circus tent, the tabernacle was a portable structure with frames and fabric stretched out around the frames, right? A tent cumbering. Very similar, again, to a circus tent. Now, let's look at the last part of our passage, and then we'll get into the observations. The last part of the passage is the placement of the items within the tabernacle. Again, verses 1 through 14, we looked at the curtains, the fabric. Verses 15 through 30, we looked at the frames that held up the curtains, the fabric. Two weeks ago, we talked about the items or the furnishings that would be within the tabernacle, right? The items within the tabernacle found in Exodus chapter 25, verses 31 through 37 are the instructions on where to put these items. So look at verse 31. It says this, And you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen, It shall be made with cherubim, skillfully worked into it. And you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold on four bases of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony, that's the ark of the covenant, the most important item, in there within the veil. And the veil shall separate for you the holy place, from the most holy place, or the holy of holies. In other words, there, there was to be a massive veil with images of cherubim; these these angels skillfully worked into this veil, and it would separate the rooms within the tent: so the holy place, the most holy place, from the holy place. Again, just those two rooms, and within the most holy place, or the holy of holies. You had the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 34. You shall put the mercy seat on the Ark. Remember, the mercy seat's the lid to the Ark. We talked about this. You shall put the mercy seat on the Ark of the Testimony in the Most Holy Place. The Ark is to be placed in, in the Most Holy Place, the Holy of Holies. And there, there was to be a veil that separated it from the rest of the tent. Verse 35, it says, it said, You shall, shall set the table outside of the veil. So outside of the holy place, you shall put the table outside of the veil and the lampstand on the south side and the tabernacle opposite, or on the tabernacle opposite of the table, and you shall put the table on the north side. That meant when you walked into this tent, into the entrance, right, you were in the holy place, and to the left of you was the lampstand, and to the right of you, was the golden table. Verse 36. You shall make a screen, moving outward, you shall make a screen for the entrance of the tent. So this is the entrance into the tent. The main entrance to the tent, and this is the most outer part of the tent. Verse 36. You shall make a screen for the entrance of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet yarns, of fine twine linen, embroidered embroidered with needlework, and you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia and overlay them with gold their hooks shall be of gold and you shall cast five bases of bronze for them when you entered in to the tent you'd walk through this screen the very first thing you do is walk through this screen into the holy place again on the left was the golden lampstand on the right was a table with the bread on top of it In front of you, there would have been a veil, a massive veil, and that would be the entrance to the Holy of Holies. And on this veil would have been two images of cherubim, these angels woven into the veil. Behind the veil is the most holy place, the Holy of Holies. It's where God's holy presence was found, his throne room enthroned above the mercy seat, above the ark, this is where Israel would meet with God. In fact, that's what it says in Exodus twenty-five, twenty-two. It says this, God said, there, above the ark in the Holy of Holies, there I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. It was there that God would meet with Moses from here on out, and then when Moses died, the high priest. So that's the passage. We went through that extremely quickly. Let's make some observations, and let's see if we can find some meaning in all these details. Why would God give so many details to the tabernacle? Why would God have the Israelites build this structure? And what did it teach The Israelites, I have three observations about the structure of the tent portion of the tabernacle. Three observations, and hopefully we'll get some meaning out of these observations. So the first observation is this. You entered the tabernacle from the east, and you moved westward toward the presence of God. You entered the tabernacle from the east, and you moved westward to the presence of God. Let me show you what I mean. Again, look at verse 35. It says this. And you shall set the table outside of the veil and the lampstand on the south side of the tabernacle, opposite of the table, and you shall put the table on the north side. Now, these are are very specific directions because God could easily have said, put the lampstand on the left side and put the table on the right side. But he says, lampstand on the south side, table on the north side. So if you think about that, this means every time this movable structure is moved and re-put up, it had to face a particular direction. Just think about that. It had to be set up in a particular direction. Look at verse 22. It says this in verse 22. And for the rear, for the rear of the tabernacle, westward. Look at verse 27. It says this and and five bars for the frames of the outward or out outer side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the frames of the side of the tabernacle at the rear westward. That means the rear of the tabernacle always faced westward. Meaning the entrance of the tabernacle would be the other side, and that would be the east side of the tabernacle. Again, let me just let's picture this. You would enter the tabernacle on the east side. You would move westward. And as you moved westward, all the material used for, for the tabernacle got more and more costly and beautiful and pure. You would move westward through the courtyard, and we haven't got there yet, but you'll see the bronze altar. You would pass the bronze altar and you get to the tent portion and you would enter into the screen talked about in verse thirty-six. As you enter into the holy place on the left side, again the south side you see the lampstand, on the right side, the north side you see the table, right in front of you, westward would be the veil with images of cherubim on him. Behind the veil was God's holy presence, his throne room, the holy of holies, where Israel would meet with God the very west end of the tent, meaning as as you moved westward, you got closer and closer to God's holy presence. As you moved eastward, you were leaving God's presence and the beauty of the tabernacle. So why is this important? Are these just random details that God gives the Israelites for no particular reason? No. No. No, it's important for at least two reasons. First, this once again connects the tabernacle with the garden. It connects the tabernacle with the garden. Real quick, turn to Genesis 3, verse 23. Genesis 3, verse 23, we'll be right back in Exodus 26. But Genesis 3, verse 23, says this. Therefore the Lord God sent him. This is after Adam sinned, Adam and Eve sinned. Him is Adam. This is after the fall. Therefore the Lord God sent him, Adam, out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He exiled him out of the garden. He drove him out. He drove out the man at the east. And at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Again, God drove the man out at the east, eastward. That means to return back to the garden, you have to go westward. You enter at the east, and you move westward. Therefore, the directions of the tabernacle is very intentional. You entered on the east side and you moved westward. This was because the tabernacle was a recreation of the garden. It was a recreation of the garden. You were entering into the garden when you entered into the tabernacle. Therefore, just like the garden, you entered the tabernacle on the east side and you moved westward toward the presence of God. It was the garden where Adam walked with God and talked with God. You, you, you move toward a meeting place with God, westward. You move, move toward a relationship with God as you move westward. So the direction connected the tabernacle to, to the garden very clearly. And it also pointed Israel to the promised land, which was west of the wilderness. In fact, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, they would enter the promised land on the east side, crossing the Jordan, and move westward in the book of Joshua. Also, just like Adam was exiled east, when the Israelites were exiled out of the promised land, kicked out of the promised land, they were kicked out east. Same way Adam was kicked out of the garden. So there's a connection with the garden, the tabernacle, and the promised land. You enter on the east side, and you move westward toward the presence of God. But that direction in the tabernacle did something else, too. It pointed Israel forward to Jesus. Now remember, as you move westward, you get closer and closer to God's presence, to to the Holy of Holies, to the throne room. I have God where he would reign as king of Israel, not just king of the Jews, but king of the world. Turn to Matthew 2 real quick. Matthew 2, verse 1. Again, we're going to get out late, but I've been good at getting us out on time, so you owe me. Verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from where? The east. From the east came to Jerusalem. If they're from the east, which direction are they moving? West. Wise men from the east came, in other words, westward to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. They understood who Jesus was. They were moving westward to the presence of Jesus to worship him. Skip down to verse 9. And after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold the star that they had seen when it rose, went before them until it came and rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and going into the house. They weren't at the major scene, just to, I hate the burst of They were, this was a child Jesus in a house. And I just can't help think, and I don't want to look too much into this text, so this may be here or may not be here, but every time I, 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 I read this this week. I can't help but think of the Holy of Holies. As they entered into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. The wise men moved westward toward the presence of Jesus. They moved westward toward the presence of God and they fell down and worshipped him. So the first observation in the passage in Exodus 26 is that you entered the tabernacle from the east and you moved westward toward the presence of God. It's intentional. It's intentional. Turn back to Exodus chapter 26. God is preparing his people for the coming of Jesus. Jesus. The second observation I want to make this morning about Exodus 26 is this. God had images of cherubim everywhere. Just everywhere. Again, look at verse 1. It says this, Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains with fine twine linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns. You shall make them with cherubim skillfully worked into them. Verse 31, this is, that, that's the curtains on the outside. Verse 31 is the veil that separates the holy of holies from the holy place. It says this, And, and you, shall, you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. It shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into them. Even the ark, as we learned a couple weeks ago, the, the ark, the mercy seat, the lid of the ark had two statues of cherubim bowing down in the presence of God. This means everywhere you went in the tabernacle, there was images or statues of of these angels, these cherubim. And this this said two things. God did this for two reasons. First, I already pointed out, it was a reminder to those that entered into the tent that they were entering into a heavenly realm. They were getting close to the presence of God. But there's another reason for the cherubim. Once again, they connected... The tabernacle with the garden. They connected the cha- tabernacle with the garden. Remember in Genesis 3, God drove man out of the garden, right, and at the entrance of the garden, he placed two cherubim to guard the way back. Let me just read it. Or Genesis 3, 24, we just read this. It says this, he drove the man, drove Adam, right, drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned away uh, to guard, and turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. In other words, these cherubim weren't a welcoming crew. (laughs) They were placed at the garden with a flaming sword to turn people away. Now remember the description of the tabernacle, if you can picture this, According to the instructions, when you walked into the t- tent for the very first time, you walk in, the very first thing you see is a massive veil. And on this veil are two images of cherubim guarding the way to the presence of God. The holy of holies. Look at verse 31. Exodus 26, verse 31 says this, And you shall make a veil of blue, And purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen, it shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it. This veil was to separate the holy place from the most holy place, or the holy of holies. Beyond the veil, behind the cherubim, behind these angels, was the presence of God. Now, let me be clear. The images of these angels was a warning. It was a warning to the priests be careful as you approach the presence of God. Be careful as you approach the presence of God. This leads to my third and final observation I want to make this morning. The third observation is this there is still a separation. there is still a separation. In Genesis 3, because of man's sin, man was kicked out of the garden. He was driven out eastward. He was exiled out of the garden. He was separated from God. From Genesis 3 on, man has been separated from God, a holy God and a sin-filled man. There's a separation between the two. The tabernacle is a recreation of the garden, but it's full of contradictions. I mean, think about it. The tabernacle was made so that God could dwell with his people. But the average Israelite never got to see the inside of the tent. Only the priests could enter into the holy place. And even they entered, when they entered, the very first thing they saw were images of angels guarding the presence of God. Warning them not to come any further. Only the high priest, and only once a year, could cross that veil with the angels. Only one man once a year could enter the the most holy place, could enter to the the throne room of God, could, could draw near to the presence of God, could meet with God. One man once a year. The average Israelite never got to see the beauty inside. For the average Israelite, the the inside of the tabernacle, right in the middle of their camp, it was a mystery. It was a mystery. Think of the tent itself. Again, it somewhat looked like a circus tent. There's a a disconnect there, I know, so don't get lost in that. But it somewhat looked like a a, a, a circus tent. And this is on my mind, because recently we had a circus here in Tachapi. And every time we drove past it, my kids freaked out. (laughs) They were like in awe of this tent because the tent was like a mystery what was inside of that tent it doesn't matter how much I described it man they were, it was a mystery because it blocked them out they do that on purpose so they can charge you to come in <laughs> the tent blocked them out and this is the same thing the tabernacle did layer after layer after layer layer John Murky writes this. The description of the tabernacle leaves one lasting impression that of the number of coverings and, and entrance curtains, though Israel had the tremendous privilege of the divine presence in their midst, there is to be no doubt that he is the Holy One and that access to him was no easy matter, even though his palace and temple was right there in the center of their camp. It was a mystery to the average Israelite. And even for the privilege, the priests who got to go into the tabernacle and got to go into the holy place, they were immediately confronted with the fact that there's still a separation. A massive veil with these angels on it. Verse 33 says this, And you shall hang the veil from the class and bring the Ark of the Testament, it's the Ark of the Covenant, in there within the veil— And the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy. Still a separation, this veil. The cherubim, a warning. Don't you dare approach the presence of God in an unworthy manner. This naturally led to questions, and I think these questions were purposeful by God. In fact, there's questions that... that the same questions that we we are confronted with in the whole Old Testament over and over and over again. They're questions that we've been confronted with in the book of Exodus from the very beginning. How can a holy God have a relationship with a sinful people? Ever since the garden, there's been this question. How can can a holy God live with a sinful people? How can a sin-filled man Experience and enjoy the presence of a holy God. And you know what? All these questions that the tabernacle naturally just brought up pointed Israel forward to Jesus, pointed Israel forward to the gospel. Turn to one last place Mark 15, verse 27. This is the very end of the Gospel of Mark, 16 chapters, this is fifteen. This is the end of Jesus' ministry. This is Jesus' death, the crucifixion on the cross, where Jesus paid the penalty of sin. It's what separated us from God. He paid the penalty of sin and dealt with man sin on the cross. Look at verse 27. It says this. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last and the curtain. This is the veil. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Listen, I've always known that the tabernacle foreshadowed, pointed Israel forward, taught Israel about Jesus and the coming of Jesus, but I am shocked as I've studied the tabernacle. I am shocked at how much the tabernacle pointed Israel forward to Jesus over and over and over again, from the mercy seat to the direction that the tabernacle faced, from the sacrifices that we haven't even got to yet on the bronze altar to the lap stand, where he is the light and life of the world. It all prepared the way for Jesus. The veil with the images of cherubim that separated God and man At the death of Jesus, that veil was ripped into two from top to bottom. Meaning, through the death of Jesus, man can now have a relationship with God. Man can meet with God. The tabernacle, again, pointed Israel forward to Jesus. And I just want to be clear because we're like, how could the Jews not see this? Listen, they did. Many, if not most, didn't. I get that. Most suppressed the truth and saw the miracles of Jesus, heard knew the Old Testament, and just were blinded to the truth that that it pointed to. But many and many got it. This is what it says in Acts 6, verse 7. And the word of the Lord continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. That's Jews. The gospel hasn't gone out to the nations yet. In fact, the first church was 3,000 Jews, then it was 5,000 Jews, then it was a number that we can't even count. They got it. In fact, and, it says this, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Can you just imagine what the priests thought when the veil was torn in two from top to bottom at the exact same time Jesus was dying on the cross? Many of them got it. The way to the presence of God is no longer through that veil. It's now through Jesus. In fact, let me just end with Hebrews 10, verse 19. It says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, you didn't have confidence to enter in the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament. We have confidence to enter in the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, what's that way? That he opened for us through the curtain, that's the veil, through the curtain, that is through his flesh. Just like the veil was the way to God in the tabernacle, in the temple, now Jesus is the way to God, to relationship to him. And many of the priests got it. Many became followers of Christ. Many, I believe, remembered Jesus' own words where he said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Just like the veil in the tabernacle, the only way to Jesus, or to God, is through Jesus. Let me just end by saying this. If you don't have a relationship with the Lord this morning, there's only one way to a relationship with him, and that's through Jesus. He came, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross for, for our sins, for your sins, he was raised on the third day, and whoever believes in him can enter through that, that holy of holies, can, can meet with God, can have a relationship with him, and will live for eternity there. It's only through Jesus and faith in him. If you have not put your faith in him this morning, if you're watching online and you've not put your faith in him, today's the day. Trust in him now. Let's pray. Dear Lord, our God. Father in heaven, Lord. I thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for the the glorious testimonies of what you have done in in people's lives, Lord, as we witness these baptisms, Lord, a a physical outward expression of what you did spiritually, Lord. I thank you for the remembrance, Lord, as we celebrated communion this morning, what you did on the cross so that we can have a relationship, Lord, with your Father. God, I, I thank you, Lord, for the grace that you have poured out on us, Lord. I pray, Lord, as we read the Old Testament that we see where you have pointed Israel forward to your son and that we're in awe of just how connected, how perfect your word is. God, I pray that we worship you this morning in truth and spirit in your son's name. Amen.